Please look at me today with the scripture reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 10 through 20. We're praying this so that you can live lives that are worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way, by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, by being strengthened through his glorious might so that you endure everything and have patience, and by giving thanks to joy to the Father. He made it so you could take part in the inheritance and the light granted to God's holy people. He rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son He loves. He set us free through the Son and forgave our sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the one who's first over all creation, because all things were created in Him, both the heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible, whether they are thrones or powers, rulers or authorities. All things are created through Him and for Him. He existed before all things, and all things are held together in Him. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning and the first, who is the firstborn from among the dead, so that he might occupy the first place in everything, because of the fullness of God was pleased to live in him, and he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or in the heavens. He brought peace through the blood of the cross. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of the scripture. Uh, today, uh, I, I just want to kind of start off with a, with a joke. Is that okay? Is that okay? I mean, really? Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Uh, the world's smartest man, the world's strongest man, a preacher and a Boy Scout were all on a plane and it was about to crash. The problem is, is there's only three parachutes. So the smartest man grabbed a parachute and said, I'm the world's smartest man. I have to survive because I can help find the solutions to some of the world's greatest problems. And he jumps off the plane. The world's strongest man grabs a parachute and says, I'm the world's strongest man. I am a role model for so many. So many people look up to me that I can't die. So he puts on the parachute and jumps off the plane. The, the, the preacher looks at the Boy Scout and says, you know, I've lived a full life. You take it. The Lord will take care of me. And the Boy Scout said, hey, that's okay. We can both take one. The world's smartest man grabbed my backpack. <laughs> Who do you look up to? Who are the role models in your life? Uh, a survey of about 2,000 Americans uh, found that about 74% of us have role models. That's not surprising. Uh, here's the top 10 list that they found out of the people that we find as role models. Number 10 is a friend. Number 9 is a family friend. Uh, next, a youth pastor or, or, a, or a pastor or a youth leader. Uh, your boss can be a role model, a historical figure, a coach, an athlete, a celebrity, a teacher, and the number one is parents. These are all good, likely role models. And I think having a role model in life is a good thing. In fact, Paul himself said that put himself up as a role model, didn't he? And say, you should act like me. But there can also be a challenge. 
You know, people we look up to, those people that we, we put on a pedestal, they all come from a different place. They come from their own environment and they have their own perspectives. And sometimes it really doesn't translate into what is a good role model. Did you notice that, that uh, Jesus was not on the list, right? As a role model. Jesus is an unlikely role model for many people. And one of our challenges is to remember that we need to follow Jesus more than we follow other people. Now, we, we all this, do this from time to time, don't we? We all find ourselves uh, following along with something that we know is not quite right. Yet, because we trust someone or because we think that they're smarter than us, or, or because we don't even want to be left out. We follow them. Uh, we tend to do this as, as a church community, too. If the church down the street is doing something that is working, then, then, then we try to do it even bigger and better. Uh, in our own uh, denomination, uh, we're having some of our sister churches vote to leave our denomination, and that, that makes us anxious. It makes us think, well, maybe we're being too slow, or, or maybe we should do the same thing. Uh, in, in our text today, we have something similar happening in the church at Colossae. Uh, the church community was, was beginning to suffer from a sense of spiritual infirmity we, we talked about this several months ago. The local synagogue was advertising a more spiritual experience. They were offering uh, some, some visions and, and right dietary practices. And, and their leaders were very persuasive. They were good at what they did, and they were telling folks that they were the right way of following God. Now, the, the Colossians were in danger of being lured into this other community because of how persuasive they were. Paul writes this letter in part to show the Colossians and help urge them not to follow the world, but to follow Christ and make Christ their king. Paul wanted to, them to fix their minds on Jesus so that God would find it pleasing. And the text that Miles read for us today can be divided into two sections. In the first section, we hear Paul's heart. We hear him praying or what he prayed for for this community of believers in Colossae. In verse 10, Paul writes, we're praying this so that you can live lives that are worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. We bring happiness 
to God by following him and doing the work that he wants us to do. Now, sometimes we get weirded out, don't we, when we start talking about uh, works and good deeds because we believe, a core belief of ours is that we're not saved by what we do. We're saved by the grace of God. However, Christianity has always used our actions as a sign of genuine faith. Uh, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist uh, movement, would quote Hebrews 10, 24 often. And, and Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider each other carefully for the purpose of sparking love and good deeds. In the, the second section of, of these verses that, that Miles read, um, Paul is showing them a different way of how Christ works in the world. Uh, he recites the words of an old hymn. Now, now, Paul's pretty good at that. He likes to put hymns uh, in his writings, uh, partly to... Uh, um, I don't want to say shame them, but, but maybe that's it. Because he, he's kind of like he's saying, look, you sing about this, do it. Uh, in, in verse 15, the, this hymn says, The sun is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation. They have seen the invisible God in the flesh, in Jesus looking at anyone else as a role model of how to be would be at best confusing and at worst destructive. Uh, the, the hymn goes on to say in verse 17, he existed before all things and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the church. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the one who is firstborn from among the dead. This part of the hymn speaks to the completeness that Jesus brings to the world, the completeness through the work that Jesus did as living as a human being in flesh and blood and then dying and being resurrected. From the cross. The scripture is teaching us that Jesus is our unlikely king. He's our role model for how God's redeeming work is being done in the world. Now, one of the things that we strive to do here at Asbury is uh, we try to help our Mondays be better because we were here on Sunday. Uh, Francis Asbury, who is the uh, uh, first American Methodist bishop and, and the namesake of our church, um, he, he said this, uh, Asbury said, my desire is to live more to God today than yesterday and to be more holy this hour than the last. Uh, Y'all know what I like to call this, right? I call it bridge the gap. That, that our job as Christ followers is to bridge the gap between who we are and who God wants us to be. So what are some of the things that we can do? 
what are some of those small changes that we can make in our life to help us take a few more steps to being who God wants us to be? Uh, Work in psychology has clearly demonstrated that having a role model in life can help us. It can help us learn a lot about living an ethical life, a spiritual life. But, but who are these role models for you? Do you put your trust in Jesus or the world? In an article in Psychology Today, it talks about how uh, an effective role model, if you're going to have one uh, and be effective, there's several things you can do. Uh, the two I'd like to pick out for us to talk about is uh, one of the things is you got to pay attention to what the role model is doing. And the second thing is you need to do the things that the role model is doing. Now, most of us would agree that, that Jesus is the best role model we could have, right? Uh, from his faith, his perseverance, how he treated people, we see the best qualities of our humanness in the scriptures that talk about Jesus' life. Now, I'm going to share a couple of characteristics of Jesus' life. This is by no way an exhaustive take on Jesus's life. This is just a couple things that I think if we start looking at them and working on them, we can take those steps to making Jesus our king. The first is empathy. Empathy is a characteristic that our culture has lost. Uh, a, a couple of months ago, we looked at the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. And if you remember, she was dragged to the, to the to this temple and she was thrown on the ground and, and she was brought before Jesus and they asked Jesus what they should do with her. And Jesus was empathetic. He saw her pain. He saw her for who she was. He dealt with her humiliation in that moment. And he did not condemn her, but he forgave her. He extended love and mercy. Being empathetic is seeing into the heart of a person. It's putting yourself in their shoes. There is so much pain and suffering in our world today. But when we as the people of God express empathy, we can help move people from despair to joy. Uh, another characteristic uh, that we need to pay attention to when, when looking at Jesus is truth. Truth is another one of these things that our culture has gotten kind of lazy with. Uh, we don't actually deal with what's actually true. And what I mean by that is if it doesn't meet our agenda, then it's okay to be dishonest about it. And not only is it okay, a lot of times it's celebrated. In the Gospel of John, Jesus turned to the Jewish people who claimed to believe in him and he said this to them, 
If you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure, then you will experience for yourself the truth. And the truth will free you. Jesus spoke the truth without fear, without fear of repercussions. He's concerned with sharing his message to people, not so much with a personal agenda. Nor does Jesus use these hard-hitting truths to stir up anger in the people that already agree with him. In fact, when his followers get angry, he gets on to them and says, stop it. (laughs) Whether or not it's to his advantage, even if it means he loses supporters, Jesus speaks the truth. Because the truth, undiluted, will set us free. Now, paying attention to Jesus isn't enough. We also have to do the things that Jesus did. Uh, We need to follow him. In this letter from Paul, this letter to the Colossians, he prays that they will follow Christ. Remember in verse 10 in the text, Paul prayed that the Colossians would live a life that is pleasing to God, that they would be producing fruit because they have followed Jesus. In in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says it just a little bit differently. He says this, watch what God does and then do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Now, we could do a sermon series for an entire year on how to love like Jesus. But I just want to lift up a couple of things to help us take those next steps. The first thing is we need to serve. We say it a lot around here, don't we? Worship, serve, and grow. And we say those three things because when we make those three things a part of our everyday life, then we become a person who is more likely to follow Jesus. You know, Jesus was motivated by love. He was the king of kings. He was the Lord of lords. He was the beginning and he was the end. But what did he do with his disciples before they celebrated the Last Supper. He washed their feet. He served. You know, sometimes uh, the people we serve are not out there. A lot of times when we think of service, 
We think of going out there, going to urban ministries, uh, taking an angel off the angel tree. But there are people right in our midst every day that we need to serve. Sometimes they're in our families. Sometimes they're at our school. uh, Sometimes they're right here in our church. And we need to serve without expecting anything in return. Last, we need to love. If you don't think it's possible to love those that you don't like, just think about what you're gonna be doing on Thursday at Thanksgiving. We don't have a choice, do we? We have to love everyone, even those that we don't like. Rick Warren puts it this way. Rick Warren says, uh, God teaches us to love by putting some unlovely people around us. It takes no character to love people who are lovely and loving to you. If Christ is our ultimate king, if Christ is our role model, then we don't have the luxury to exclude people that we don't like or that we don't agree with. In this very last section, this hymn, Paul uses it because of the allness of Christ. Let me tell you what I mean. In these verses, it says, Christ is the firstborn of all creation. All things are stated twice in verse 16 and were created in, through, and for Christ. In verse 17, it says, Christ is before all things and holds all things together. In verse 19, it says, in Christ, not only the fullness of God, but all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Christ, all things were reconciled. Let me be real clear. This doesn't mean that all things are okay. It doesn't. It means that it's not our job to judge the world. It's God's job to redeem the world. And he does that through you and through me because we are following in his footsteps that he is our role model, that he is our king. The Greek word that is translated as all is pandum. Now, I don't know if I said that right. Michael Bowman's not here to uh, tell me if I got that right. But the word pandum can also be translated as every. Does that sound familiar to you? It does to me. Every one is important and has something to bring. So let's make Jesus our king, our role model, and give him our best. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for gathering us here this day. 
to worship you. Help us to follow you, to make you our king and role model. Amen.